When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the TOT Cast. Of course, I'm Ryan Greco, and I am being rejoined by Editor-in-Chief Chris O'Kranitz. Chris, I mean, it's been, what, two and a half weeks since the last time we spoke? I mean, a lot has taken place in the Toronto landscape, and I mean, above all else, the Toronto Raptors, my God. Great round one win. It's the... The, only the second time they've been able to put this together in, uh, in what, 15 years now? Since the last time they were able to put it together. And I'm not going to lie. I'm excited for what's happening next. But at the same time, we got off on the wrong foot. Uh, look, it was disappointing what happened in Game 1. But before anything, welcome to Round 2 Raptors fans. Congratulations on winning the first Best of 7 series in your 21-year history. So that was a pleasant, pleasant, pleasant surprise. Actually, no, I wouldn't call it a surprise. It was just a pleasant thing to see. Um, Thank you for, for pointing that out. Yeah, because they were favored the whole nine yards. It was a team they should have beaten five Two versus six. seven, honestly. Yeah, it, that was a series they should have won. Now, mind you, game one was a game they also should have won. Oh, absolutely. That was no. something they, they blew, actually, from the first half where it felt like instead of them being up by four, they only went in the half up by two. Or by four, sorry. It should have felt like they should have been up by 14. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Chris, now you had an opportunity to not only watch this game once, but you you made it your point to break down the second half, and you had an opportunity to sit there and, and really take in um, everything that had happened to that point. So so give me your perspective on everything that you saw in that second half and how it really turned out for the Raptors and how it, we really came to the position that we're in right now. It's a lot of the same things we've seen all season, in my opinion, in terms of the offense just went really stagnant. A lot of dead sets. Yeah, they're an ISO-heavy team, but the ball just stopped moving. In the first half, when they were putting up points, the ball was whipping around. They were they were making things work, and people are always wanting to criticize Kyle Lowry because, let's face it, he's got the worst shooting percentage in all of playoff history right now. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't so, know what to say to that, but well, I think that's like his elbow and a combination of things that yeah. have confidence and borderline yips, but... The ball wasn't moving number one. Rotationally, they, they just couldn't get set in terms of finding matchups that worked. Um, Dragic absolutely scorched in the second half, yep. which was highlighted by his quote-unquote dagger three. Some people were, were saying with 45 seconds left in the fourth quarter there. Didn't end up being the dagger, but, you know, at the time... It felt Any like other it game, was. honestly, right? It, it felt like it was at the time. He just carved them up. And then Dwayne Wade really turned things on in the overtime which was pretty much Dwayne Wade putting the kids to bed. It was just, <laughs> it was literally a veteran just taking over a game and imposing his will. Just yeah. constantly, whether it be picking Terrence Ross's pocket, 
driving to the cup and you know getting Valanciunas with that little head fake he do from about 15 feet out to set him up to open his hips a little bit just to, just enough to get that left hand in there to lay the ball in or stripping DeRozan as time expires and over time it was it was vintage Dwayne Wade and it was sheer brilliance now one thing that I actually would love to bring up right now is uh, taking a look at that overtime period um, especially when that matchup happened and that mismatch with Dwayne Wade going against Jonas one thing that we noticed above all else was Jonas making absolute all effort to make sure that his hands were already held high to try and give Dwayne Wade that in his mind he's thinking that okay well I'm going to give him a hesitation because I'm seven feet tall and that he at the very least I can at least make it seem like I'm going to be a problem when it comes to going to the rim now wouldn't you wouldn't you see that there would be a necessary adjustment at this point to be able to say, I was like, okay, well, now you see that he's not afraid of that in any sense of the word. So wouldn't it be something on him now, Jonas Valanciunas, to look at that game film and go, you know what, maybe I should start keeping my hands a little bit low and be able to say, okay, well, you know what, if you're going to try and at least say that you can go to the basket and attack on me in that sense, should I at least make a point to at least take a, a shuffle step a little bit more a step sooner to what he's going to try and do but more importantly also make sure that maybe one of his hands is a little bit low to at least see what he has as far as his dribbling capacity goes and maybe even knock something loose so i think in the first half when you saw him kind of being parked in the restricted area a lot like they were doing mm-hmm. outside miami when he kind of rolled his ankle in the fourth quarter there yeah he was never the same player Valanciunas. he was he was walking around gingerly his yeah. step just wasn't the same and i think that was more of why you saw Dwayne Wade really turn things on overtime as opposed to Valanciunas. Do you think he was bringing back to old habits? Sorry to interrupt, I, I, but do no, you think I he just, was... I just think he was hurt. I think he yeah. was just playing like... You've rolled your ankle before playing a game. Yeah, soft, I have, I have, He can't yeah. move as well. I just really think that's what it was as opposed to him being out of position. I just think his ankle was really tender and he didn't want to come out because, you know, obvious reasons the game got really competitive. And Dwayne Wade kind of saw that, hey, he's not moving the same as he was in the first mm-hmm. half, even the third quarter. I'm going to attack that now. He knew he could beat his man with a dribble. They didn't really want run necessarily ISO sets. They ran a lot of high screen and rolls where yes. the screen was just there. Which worked to, to perfection at the time, yeah. Yeah, it was never to screen for the shooter. It was basically to screen to give Dwayne Wade a chance to beat the guy with the dribble on the first step and just blow by him to the hoop. It was never for him to look to pass. It was always for Dwayne just to drive to the hoop and really attack Valanciunas. Mm-hmm. And I just think it was more so his ankle being really tender mm-hmm. as opposed to him being out of position. Because he didn't really get called for a lot of fouls underneath the hoop with his hands up like we saw in the Indiana series. Mm -hmm. During the Indiana series, I mean, he couldn't buy a foul underneath the bucket and he couldn't stay out of foul trouble underneath the bucket. And a lot of them were just BS fouls where you go, really? That's a foul at this NBA level? In the playoffs, no less? It almost sounds like for the, the the more hardcore fans, they could sit there and go, Oh my goodness! Like you know, here we go with the uh, the Canadian uh, unfavoritism as as they would like to try and play that off in the last couple of series. That's been a, a little narrative that's kind of reoccurred, right? It has. I mean, with with fans, I mean, it's uh, unfortunately though they as much as they'd like to try and play that up, we're also looking at a situation here. Even you know, to your point where you're saying where Dwayne Wade is is exposing something that he saw. I mean, like you said, it's a veteran head that's sitting there and going, okay. This, this is how I should be attacking this situation. So what do you think, with that being said, would be the next logical phase for the Toronto Raptors to try and defend that going into Game 2 tonight? So before we get into defending Dwayne Wade, to those so-called fans that were in there <laughs> that decided to leave early before oh, Lowry hit uh, that prayer 3, don't ever come back. <sighs> Seriously, like I, 
For the life of me, that's one of my biggest pet peeves in sports is why fans decide to leave early. What are you accomplishing? You trying to beat traffic on the gardener? You trying to get home early? I just, I, I don't get it. Like you, you pay whatever you pay for those playoff tickets. God bless the, some of you that did and you got them through work or whatever you get them through. Get your money's worth. Yeah, don't leave. Don't leave. Any, anytime the game is within two possessions or like one score in football or one home run swing the bat or even like a goal on some fluke thing, why are you leaving? Why are you leaving? I'll never understand that. So, all, all I gotta that say, is a yeah, whole other topic yeah, of discussion. completely, yeah, it is, it is. Let's be honest. <laughs> but as for when it comes to defending Wade, you know what? He wasn't that electric in that game. In overtime he was, yes, in game yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, he, he picked but it up when it mattered. I thought they did a pretty good job. I think the guy that they really need to kind of figure out how to guard is Dragic. Well said. Whether that be Lowry or... I wouldn't even mind seeing them... Like, if they're going to play the small ball set where at times in this game they went Lowry, DeRozan, Carroll, uh, Powell, and uh, JV. Yep. If, if they're going to roll that out there, I wouldn't mind seeing Lowry kind of take on Wade and then let Powell take on Dragic. If Dragic's hot again, let the longer defender, Powell's got long arms, let him take him. You can maneuver the switches off on Wade. Lowry's got the foot speed to, to keep up with Wade. You know Wade can't shoot. Aside from the three he made last game, or sorry, the game, the, yeah, last game there was a three he made that got called off. Mm-hmm. The game before that against Charlotte where he made that three in game six with a purple shirt guy, yep. that was the first three he made in months. In months. You know he's not a jump shooter. You know he wants to attack the basket. Mm-hmm. So for a guy like Lowry, that's a little bit easier to defend, whereas Dragic is a little more cerebral in the way he can attack you. And oh, yeah. You saw him kiss glass. Because he's a dick. He's, he, he's, <laughs> he's, that, he's that basketball player. He's that tall, lanky basketball player. He's just a complete dick in how he attacks the rim. He's a good player, though. He's that's the point, though. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I'm not saying he's not a bad basketball player, and that's to your point. He's just that guy where he's, and and I hate to say it, but I'll, I'll say it right now. I think part of the reason, the fact that, you know, Eastern European kid, a little bit of a chip on his, on his shoulder, and from the minute he stepped in the league, he was that kind of kid. And we see this from guys that come from that kind of region where they have that mentality of, well, you know, a lot of these guys that come into the NBA think that we're not that athletic or we don't think that we have that kind of attitude or that that kind of, I guess you could say, even backbone. And they come in with a chip on their shoulder to try and prove something. And they come from a certain part of the world where, you know, chippy basketball is the way to go. And I'm not going to lie. I think Gordon Dragic is that kind of player. And I love the fact that the Raptors are facing up against somebody like that. And I can't wait until, as a fan, strictly speaking as a fan, I can't wait until Valanciunas and Dragic meet at the rim for something a little bit more physical than just a simple foul. <laughs> that will not happen. I, I hope it does at some point. Well, Dragic is a smart player, right? Like he'll keep himself out of those situations. Yeah, because he's, he's, he's a too fu- he, Yeah, you know what? He's a weasel. That's why. <laughs> he's a weasel. Well, I mean, the he's weasel. been a weasel. Even how he how he negotiates his contracts, he's, he's he's a bit of a weasel. He knows what he's worth. I'll give him that. But you know, demanding trades, this, that, and and a third. And right now, he's proving his worth to the Miami Heat. And at the end of the day, I can't wait till he gets put on his ass personally. I mean, that's fair. That's fair to you. I think he he played pretty well though, for the most part. Like I think he played rather well. No, oh no, absolutely. And that's part of the reason why I love the fact that when he gets put on his ass. The uh, the uh, the Toronto Raptors faithful that are with at least about I'd, I'd like to think at least thirty percent of them come to Leaf games every now and then. We'll have some sort of appreciation for that, especially in the upper Raptors. <laughs> I'm sure they'll definitely appreciate it. But to get back to what you're saying about how to defend it, I would if look the one thing that was the big big narrative going into this series was how are the Raptors going to defend the Heat small ball attack? Yes, 
because since the All Star break, the Heat have decided to play this small. And they're ball lanky coach. too, right? Yeah, they're they're pretty long. I mean, when they deploy Whiteside underneath the basket, he clogs up a lot of things in the paint yep. as a one man wrecking crew. But where it really starts for them is when they have Ding and Joe Johnson at the four positions. Those guys are longer defenders. They're more of your typical stretch three guys that can shoot the ball, but at the same time rebound a bit here and there. Mm-hmm. Now the Heat are relying on them to literally pair up with Dwayne Wade and Dragic to form this kind of four-man front court that's also a four-man backcourt, and it, it's worked formally for them to create a ton of mismatches. The Raptors matched that with these. I mean, Joe Johnson played a team-high 42 minutes for Miami the other night. He went 7 for 19 from the field, which was largely due to Carroll guarding. So, the Raptors are matching up with them, and, and yep. take it even a bit a step a step further here. Miami went 14 for 21 from the free throw line. That's not a good night. No. They didn't shoot the ball extremely well. I mean, they shot 44%. That's a 66% night from the free throw line. And sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah sorry. They, they shot the ball 44% from the field. That wasn't the greatest. No. I mean, the big area that stood out again, that has stood out. <laughs> Fuck. It, it stood out literally every... Man, every game this playoffs has been the three-point line. And it's been like that since the regular season because they were the second worst team in the league at defending it behind the Phoenix Suns. The Heat were not lights out at a volume level, but they were lights out when they were shooting. They were eight for eleven from three. Nothing was worse than that Goran Dragic in the fourth quarter. Well, that that was the one that highlighted it. But every time they needed to get back in the game a little bit, there'd be this three ball that would just bang in, mm-hmm. bang in. Eight for eleven, seventy-two percent. You look at the Heat in the first round. All four of their wins, they shot the ball near fifty percent. It was near 50% from three. So when they win games, they shoot the three pretty well. They may not shoot it a lot. It's like any, any team, right? A little bit. A like little bit. Whenever... But, but with them, the difference between them and a lot of other teams is a lot of other teams will rely on the three to kind of put them into games or propel them to leads. Whereas the Heat are very selective when they shoot their three. When they shoot it, it's generally good looks. They're not a team that relies heavily on the three, which is weird because... If you watch this game and you saw the amount of sheer volume mid-range jumpers that were being taken, that's not a thing you see in the league anymore. It's either a lay-in or shoot a three. Mm-hmm. Just based off the analytics metrics that we're all crazed with now. It's and are you talking about just the Heat or the Heat? Just... Well, the Raptors too. The Raptors. Shot I was going to say yeah because like we we saw a lot of that. But the Raptors also shot 22 uh, three-point attempts that game, which yeah. is that's a lot. For them, it's and it's it only looks like a lot because they missed a lot, and because your best player doesn't shoot ten threes a game or eight threes a game or five threes a game, even at that matter at times. And Demar Derozan, and and that's debatable. What's your best player, Lowry or Derozan? He shouldn't be shooting a lot of threes. Derozan he doesn't have a good three point shot, right? I mean, Lowry shot seven threes. And he attempted seven, made one, and the only one he made was from forty feet out. So. <laughs> And, even and even everyone, Ross, that was the thing, right? Terrence Ross attempted seven threes, made two. Like they just, they're they're just not making their threes, and that's been the same theme the whole Pacers series, and now it's carrying over to this series, and it's it's a bigger problem than people like to make it out. To. And the problem with it, above all else, it just seems that the teams are just making a point of that because now they've got that scouting report, knowing what they're going after. I mean, you could even. You can even chalk it up to that of just teams understanding now what they're facing when they're going with that. And now the Raptors, being who they are, are not trying to find ways of adapting to that. But also even defensively saying, we're not making, and taking ownership in this really, and saying that they're not necessarily making all the defensive 
keys and matchups that they should be making. Because to your point, what you said earlier is that they, they've been terrible defending the three. Yeah, they have been. They've been terrible defending the three all season. And it's kind of leads to your point about them, you know, kind of getting good looks where teams are letting them shoot it a little bit. Yeah. Take this into consideration, okay? The Heat only contested two of Lowry's 13 shots last night, and he was 3 of 13. Now, DeMar DeRozan had 16 of his 22 shots contested. So what that kind of tells you is that knowing Lowry can't shoot very well right now, hell, let, They're him, leaving shoot, it let open. him shoot all night. And, and you know what? To make a point even on top of that is that we're seeing a lot of guys, a lot of lesser guys, getting those wide-open looks and still not doing anything with it. As a matter of fact, I'd even make the argument the only person right now who's dangerous beyond the arc if you leave him wide open is Patrick Patterson. I'd say Damari Carroll as well, and even Corey Joseph. Yeah, and I mean, Damari Carroll, I like Damari Carroll as well, because I think Damari Carroll, to a point, is he's the guy that knows every single night that he's getting put on the best player in the, in the on that opposite team. But even to make a point beyond that, the fact that, and I'm just completely, what I'm doing right now, I'm, I'm being a fan. I'm being a Toronto Raptors fan when I say this, and I'm being completely hypothetical. But I can imagine his mindset is saying, I'm getting put out there every single night to go against the best possible player that they have to offer. So when they show me open, oh, you better respect what I'm able to do offensively. I'd agree with that. And I, I do think that people underestimate Joe Johnson in this series. There was times where in game one where we saw the, the flashes of Joe Johnson. Mm. Now, if Damari Carroll wasn't guarding Joe Johnson, I really think Joe Johnson would like this join up and would just yeah. fill the cup up in ways that we would be like, well, this looks like Brooklyn all over again. <laughs> uh, let's not. So I, I really think people are going to put appreciation towards Damari when this series is done. And the words of Rick and Morty, you're speaking the uh, names that should not be said. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's true. But looking, looking it's ahead true. to... Uh, <laughs> looking ahead to game two, though... Yes. What area do you think the Raptors need to kind of thrive in, per se, if they're going to succeed and get a W? Above all else, they need to just be able to thrive in their offensive execution. And even if that doesn't involve necessarily DeMar DeRozan and, and Kyle Lowry, and to your point, you brought this up off air earlier in the day when we were conversating over text messages that, you know, you felt that Kyle Lowry, he needs to just find his inner Jason Kidd. The thing with him is you saw near the end of the Pacers series there in game six and seven, he was shooting not at the same volume he was. He was still trying to make jump shots, but he made a lot of things happen without the ball in his hands and especially defensively, whether it be getting guys into position or directing the offense or being a leader on the bench. He was literally taking his Jason Kidd role, but just before Jason Kidd had the shot. Mm -hmm. Because when Jason Kidd got to Dallas and was kind of bouncing around, you know, making the last tour at the end of his career there, he could shoot the three really well. But prior to that, Jay Kidd was a guy that was just your typical stat stuff. 10-10-10. Like almost like a, dare I say it, a, a certain uh, Vince Carter before he went to Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. VC kind of became dependent on that mid-range uh, three ball, right? I mean, he never liked driving in the rim, which is something we all all I know is for. All I know is that we should have... I'm going to say this one more time. We should have we should have signed him before Memphis because I'm not going to lie. I would not have mind. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off track right now for a second. I'm going to say this right now. Having a guy, I would rather have Vince Carter with just fresh off of his Dallas Mavericks contract signing with the Raptors, being able to shoot that three, even over as a guy like Terrence Ross. Well, he can keep his like 
below forty percent three in his fifteen year legs. That's, that's fine. I'd that's rather fine. Take I can deal with that all day. I and you know what? I I respectfully disagree because at the end of the day, right now, I, we've got all the young legs in the world, and everybody looks like they got cold feet. It's one thing to have young legs; it's another to have cold feet, and that's what we're looking at right now. Yeah, by that's, the sounds of that's fine by me because I really don't think Vince Carter make a difference at all in these playoffs for and, the Raptors. I just and I think they do. And that's it. Yeah. Like I, at the end of the day, I, I hear you too. Like I think VC is just a, a thing of the past. Raptors fans had a great blast with, and he is not even close to the same player he once was. And no, that's and obviously fair because look at no, his age of course and not. And I, I don't disagree with that either. But I also think that a guy of his stature and seeing what he's seen, and there, there's you can't you can't put an attribute on on psychology. Well, what has he really seen? What. Anything that he's seen with Dallas, and I'll, I'll say this right now, with Memphis, he hasn't done a whole lot. He really hasn't. But I think if we had been able to pick him up before Memphis had picked him up and just having somebody on the bench as opposed to having to rely on somebody such as Terrence Ross or anything, anybody else that we've had right now that has not been able to put it together. And I'm going to say this right now, though. Our bench has, has, is the reason we got past Indiana in game one. But a lot of that had to do with guys that were attacking the rim and being aggressive defensively as opposed to being have a, having a three-point prowess in which Vince Carter was able to show in his time with Dallas. A little bit. I mean, I, I don't think VC was extremely efficient. Like what you're portraying to be, I think he was okay, but not efficient. He was efficient when he needed to be. And that's all yeah, I got to say about that. I, I think he's just like Terrence Ross, where he's really sporadic. He's up and down. You never know what you're going to get from a night-to-night basis. Yes, but I, I, tr- I trust him over Terrence Ross any day of the week. Right now? No, I, I really would. I'll, I'll put it this way. Terrence, is Vince Carter trying to do that crossover on Dwayne Wade at the end of the game? Is he really trying to do that crossover, or is he trying to hold the ball and get a timeout and pass it off? Well, I think he would have just passed it right away from the inbound, but... At the same time, I don't even think he'd be on the floor. I think he would be. Well, if VC's logging major minutes for you, your roster's probably depleted and you're in big issues, which Memphis was at the end of this year, to be, to be fair. Like for him, Lance Stevenson, well, Lance Stevenson could, play, could still play big minutes, but the point is Memphis was so battered and beat up at the end of the season that he had to play big minutes. Mm-hmm. He had to. Him, yep. Jeff Green, Michael, like all these guys had to play big minutes because... They had nobody else. Yep. And to Terrence Ross's defense, I guarantee it that he learned something from that whole situation. Oh, 100%. But he had a pretty good game, though, you know? like and, and no, it, In the second right. quarter when I mean, he came but, in, he was their spark plug. He, he propelled him to the lead. He kept it close. It was more of questions of, who is this guy? Who is this Terrence Ross? We, we got the good Terrence Ross in game two. Mm-hmm. Or game one, sorry. $30 million dollar Terrence Ross. You know what? With the cap going up and all that stuff. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I like, trust... You, you you know that I know, so I'm just saying as well. Uh, like I said, I made my I made my point clear, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, for me, I mean, Lowry's got to be out there as much as possible. Yes, when he's not on the floor, it at is the end of the day, a train wreck. Yeah, when he's out there, they're averaging over 100 points per 100 possessions. So basically, a point per possession, which is key for them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when he's not on the floor. That number dramatically decreases. It sits be- like below ninety points per hundred possessions, mm-hmm. and on top of that, the points they allow defensively is just it just skyrockets. It's over hundred. It's still over hundred. He's on the court right now, but it's 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 manageable. They're like, live. They're allowing like a hundred and a half yep. per hundred possessions when he's on the floor, and they're scoring a hundred and one and a half when he's on the floor. Mm-hmm. That's still a W. I'll take that. The, the point is, he's just got to be out there. 
whether you roll him with a Corey Joseph, you know, that's perfect. That, that's worked. Yeah, that's worked it has. It has. And Corey Joseph, how about Corey Joseph, the kid from Pickering, really just, there's been some plays that we've seen in these playoffs, period, where he's just sat there and it's like, you can really tell that almost at times where he's he's having his flashbacks right now of just like, now granted, the kid has spent like fucking the last, you know, 15, sorry, not 15, sorry, uh, 10 years in Texas. But at the same time, you know where he's from. He knows where he's from. He still speaks with that Toronto accent. Oh, yeah. And I can imagine he's got some moments right now, even when he's facing up Dwayne Wade above all else, where he's just at his absolute most apex of his ability. And it, it honestly, as a Toronto fan to watch that, it it's scary to say right now, but I'm not going to lie. S- speaking strictly as a fan, I almost feel more confident watching Corey Joseph guard up a Dwayne Wade than a Kyle Lowry because I know that Corey Joseph really? is, honestly because I feel like Corey Joseph has nothing to lose he knows that at the end of the day he could always get thrown on the bench whereas a Kyle Lowry knows he has to make sure that he's available like to your point where he's saying okay I gotta make sure that I at least I guard this guy but I don't like I'm not I'm not sitting there and going I'm not fouling myself out of the game because I know that my team needs me offensively whereas Corey Joseph is sitting there and it's like I don't care what you do I'm not gonna, I'm gonna make sure you're not scoring I don't know if I'd agree with that sentiment. I, I, I feel like Lowry's just all around their guy that they need at all times to perform. And But that's and, part of the reason why I agree with you in that sense. No, I hear what you're saying with that, but I just feel like he's very, very conscious, as everybody saw after game one, him shooting jump shots till one in the morning, Yeah. of what people think of him and what he means to this team. So I think guarding a guy like Wade, let's, let's use that for example, mm-hmm. he'll relish that moment, he'll step up, and he'll literally just do whatever he has to do to help his team win. Sure, there's going to be the BS foul calls that get called against another team. And I think that's, but that's why I come where I come from right now. Well, I, those are things you don't have control over, right? Like, I just feel like Lowry would... It's so definitely... visible, isn't it, Chris? Honestly, how visible is it with and, and everything that we see in the NBA? Because we know you and I both watch games not just besides the Raptors. We see this stuff on a day-to-day basis. And I can imagine the, the players see it, too, and it's frustrating. For sure, it's frustrating for them because it's the same crap every every year. Right? Like, Every year, it's the same, <laughs> same trash foul calls that you're just like... How dare you touch seriously? Kevin Durant's forearm? Like, you know, like... I get that, though. Shit like the, that, to be honest. Like, like you, you know that's going to happen, right? So that's the thing. If you're the player now, you, you may not be able to prepare for it, but you can at least prepare for the outcome. Where it's like, okay, look, I'm going to play my game, but I know that this is probably going to call the foul, but you know what? The time it doesn't, if that leads to us getting a transition bucket and puts us up by two... I'll take that, and I All hope, day. and I hope that Lowry approaches that with that kind of mentality. I think he will. I, I really think he will, just because <laughs> there is no way this guy is not motivated to play a lot better. Now, the thing with him is that I feel like it's a lot like the yips, whereas like for baseball players, like people saw with Chuck Knobloch back in the days with the Yankees, trying to throw from second base to first base, he couldn't do it. Steve Sachs with the Dodgers, these guys, they can't make that short throw because it's all mental. Whereas with Lowry right now. It's a similar concept where jump shots that he's made, man, roll the film of him shooting at 1 a.m., you see him making these shots. Nobody on him, just him, himself, in the gym, making them. Yeah. I feel like when he gets out there and starts playing in the moment and all that, it's just it's just whatever that mental block in his head that is so damn hard to remove, it's there and it's, it's the biggest problem and it's hard for him to shoot through. But I do feel like that, add that in, Add the fact that his old teammate from the 2010-11 Rockets, Goran Dragic, who took his playing time and started over him and ended up getting Lowry traded out of Houston, is lighting it up right now, having a hell of a playoff, 
scorched Raptors in game one, all the criticism he's getting, and of course all the internal pressure as well, that he's going to just, he's definitely got to step up for this. I mean, there's no way in hell this isn't all in his mind, that it's just, you know what, I don't have to shoot threes, I don't have to go one for seven from the field again, I can just drive to the cup, get my points that way. We haven't seen Lowry drive that much to the basket. like No, we said. haven't. Because it's, and, and honestly, to your point, it always also seems like, to a certain extent, that he hasn't been getting any of the calls going his way because no one's been getting those kind of calls necessarily, especially if they don't have a Raptors jersey on them. But I say that to say this, is that the whistle is loose no matter who it is when it comes to the playoffs. I mean, Paul George got fouled in Game 7. And no one called that. Yeah, which was shocking. Right? Well, look at Lowry, too, though. I mean, he drove to the cup, and he passed off an open layup to try and give the JV to get the layup. Or or the dunk, whatever, vice versa. Yeah, yeah. But the point is, is that Lowry had an open layup, and he, he's looking to pass. That, like, that's, that's Kyle not, Lowry. That's yeah, not that's, Kyle Lowry. Exactly, it's not him. So that's partially that's why the I think... That's we know. That's partially why I think refs are seeing that. And they're going, okay, well, like, why am I going to blow a whistle? These guys are creatures of habit, right? They're humans. Mm-hmm. They see certain things. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to go as far as to say they review film and grade their performance. I'm sure somebody does do that, but they may not be I'm that. I'm sure that some of them don't. Some of them are, are, are quicker to go to uh, McCulligan's uh, across the street from ML, oh. from Maple Leaf Gardens. A hundred percent. Or Real Sports Bar and be like, I'm a ref, so, you know, it's on the NBA's tab. Yeah, I, I have no doubt that happens. But at the same token, when you're putting yourself in these positions of passing off open lanes or open layups, sorry, shooting long jump shots like DeRozan's doing, as a whole team, trying to just drive to the cup to get the open three and then, you know, clanking threes all the time. When you're making yourself into a jump shooting team that is kind of low risk or in terms of your fouls, your, the rest propensity to call fouls is not going to be there because you're shooting a lot of jump shots, you're not going to get a lot of foul calls. No, you're not. For what? You can't. The, the amount of times that jump shooters get called for fouls is so slim. It's not not that. No, high. not 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 at this time of the year. Yeah, and then when a guy like DeRozan goes to the cup, he's usually coming off what over under a thousand dribbles. <laughs> then he's going to lane off of that in yeah. an ISO set where you're going to draw traffic, and then you're kind of leaning into the guy with your shoulder to his chest. Yeah, which you're initiating like, the contact, and that's, and that, that's, and that's, no and that's not something. It's something that can fly in the regular season, but not necessarily in the playoffs. Because at the end of the day, yeah. they're looking. They're more. This is the this is the way that I've always break, broken it down. Now, looking at the difference between regular season basketball and playoff basketball is that in regular season basketball, they're looking at how the offensive player is being affected by the shot. When it comes to the playoffs, however. Everything has to do with how the defensive player is reacting to the initial action of the offensive player. And when that player, when that defensive player does something that looks like it's worthy of a foul, that's when the, the play is being called. Not necessarily, it has nothing to do with the offensive player based off of everything that I've seen up until this point. And there's only a few exceptions here and there. And obviously, they're for the exceptions that I will remain nameless up well, until this point. Dwayne Wade will be one of them. Get ready. And with that. <laughs> Before we go, though, yes. who you got in game two? Who do I... As frustrated as I was with the Toronto Raptors, and, I mean, you heard the you heard the brunt of it more than anyone else, Chris. <laughs> I must say, I'm going to go with the Toronto Raptors because both teams played their worst possible games. But just based off of makeup of these teams, 
just based off of the way that they execute their offense when it's all about when it when it when it all comes down to it when they're all firing on all cylinders. No, I'm still gonna take the Toronto Raptors. And you know what? As swollen and as ridiculous as Kyle Lowry's elbow is, I think he'll rise. I I think he will still find a way to rise to the occasion and put on his best, as you said, Jason Kidd impression. Chris, what do you make of this game too? What do you think? Who are you gonna take? I'll take the Raptors as well. Try not to be a homer here at all. And at the same time, though, I don't see both these teams playing as bad as they did in Game 1. You can say the Heat had 20 turnovers. You can say they went 14 for 21 for the line. They hung in there, you know, and they just capitalized at the right times. But at the same time, are the Raptors really going to shoot 5 for 21 from 3 again? How many no. times this playoffs? I don't know what has had less, you know, progression to the mean. The Raptors' three-point percentage or the Blue Jays' in one-run ball games. Both of them have failed to somehow not progress to the mean. Something's got to give, baby. Something has to. And I hate to keep harping on this progression to the mean here, but that's just it's just the law of averages. It's just the way a lot of these things work out. And I do feel like the Raptors are quote unquote due. I hate using that term due, but they've been they've been their misses have not been poor from mm-hmm. three. They've been either missing long or in and outs. And that's mm-hmm. usually a sign that your shot is it's it's pretty good and it's going to go in pretty soon. Yep. Keep shooting it. So I feel like we're going to get one of those games where the Raptors finally make some threes and the Heat, a team that does not shoot a lot of threes, is going to feel it. So I'm glad we both agree that the Raptors are winning game two. It's a little less uh, little less years in our life there. No, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. We won't have to um, have that kind of uh, conversation while the game is happening, but... I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing what our boys are going to have uh, come come next game. And also, we didn't necessarily talk about this a lot, but kudos to Kyle Lowry. I mean, when you want to talk about showing up when it really mattered most, it sucks that we lost the overtime game, and we were both extremely frustrated watching that and watching basically Dwayne Wade being Dwayne Wade. In OT, yeah. But I know I, I think I can speak for both of us when I say that's a huge shout out to Kyle Lowry. That game was such an anomaly for him. That was the only game all year where he didn't score double digits. Exactly. And it's only right that that happens. So. Well, I was kind of hoping he would an OT, but nothing. I mean, the three was there. Put him to seven points, and that was it. So. Yeah, but that just I'm just going to chalk that up to um, boys being boys. Because right now, as far as I'm concerned, they're still acting like boys. It's time to be men. Otherwise, they're not, they're not going to be here next year. A few of them aren't. No, I think they'll all be back now after winning the first series, but that's something we can debate about in another podcast. Fair enough. I do think most of this core will be back in place, though. And we will save that debate for another day. <laughs> so, I'm Ryan Greco, and uh, as always, you can reach uh, Chris O'Kranitz at Chris O'Kranitz on Twitter. Uh, also, you can hit up, up, up on uh, Instagram the same way. Uh, you can reach me at Ryan Greco 416 both on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, if you have any comments for anything that you either see, whether it's articles, the show, anything involving Tip of the Tower, be sure to hit at Tip of the Tower on Twitter. And uh, we'll be sure to hit you back as soon as possible. And uh, once again, thank you very much for joining us this week. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon, all right? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.